0: Hello Hello and welcome welcome to our first first and only episode of Integration integration for Immigrants. immigrants. In this episode, we're going to focus on the assimilation of immigrants, um, the benefits and the cons of... What happens to them in the process of them integrating into society when they arrive to the United States from um, whatever country they're coming from. Um, In specific, we're going to focus on the people we interviewed from last week, um, which is my father who interviewed from Mexico and. And my grandma, who also integrated from Mexico. I want to start off by introducing um, and giving a quick history or background on um, the people we interviewed. So my father is currently 62 years old. Actually, it's funny because my father and his grandma are the same age. They're just a month apart. Um, But my father is 62. He immigrated when he was about 18. Um, And he immigrated um, with the purpose um, of giving his wife and his first child who were still in Mexico um a better life um so in my family, there's a total of five siblings, um, me and my older brother, um, who's three years older than me, we were born in the United States. Um, and then the other three siblings were born in Mexico. So my father had to go through the experience of immigrating and then had to immigrate to his own children. Um, so that's one thing that makes, I think, our family history a little more interesting. Um, and then I'll give it away to Juan, who's going to give a little bit about his grandma.
1: Uh so yeah, so just like Danya said, my grandma is also sixty-two years old. She immigrated from Mexico, from Acapulco, Mexico. Um, I think one of the good things about interviewing the two people that we did is that Danya's father immigrated at an older age, as he was, he was already an adult when he immigrated. As to my grandma, she immigrated at about six years, uh, about eight years, six to eight years old. Um, so she was young. She didn't come for a better education necessarily she came because that's what her parents were doing at the time
0: I want to start off by using a quote from the book The Integration of Immigrants into American Society um Which states today the 41 million immigrants in the United States represent 13.1% of the US population. The US born children of immigrants the second generation represent another 37.1 million people or 12% of the population. Thus together the first and second generations account for one out of four members of US population. Whether they are successfully integrating is therefore a pressing and important question. I think this is a great quote to start with um, because we can put it next to um the myth of integrations um that we've learned about in class in week six. Um and I think it's very interesting um to think about from the outside perspective, um and growing up I always thought, okay, my father immigrated, that's cool, like nothing interesting there um, but as I started growing up through high school um, and through college now that I'm taking more in-depth classes about immigration um, I do think it is such a huge process um, that immigration is as we saw in our week six lectures integration's definition is the process by which members of immigrant groups and host society come to resemble one another
1: And integration goes hand in hand with the simulation, uh, which describes the process by which a minority integrates socially, culturally, and or politically into a larger dominant culture and society. Um, This term is used often in terms of immigrants and ethnic groups settling into a new land and a new society. This will be our main focus for this podcast, and it will explain how the relatives that we interviewed settled or how they were not able to settle in their new environments.
0: Immigration is such a broad um, topic or area to talk about because it's not as simple as just my father and Juan's grandma decided to immigrate to the United States. And ever since then, they've been here and that's that. Um, and we saw this in our interviews where we asked specific questions to them um, and their personal experience about what it was like for them to Adapt to the United States and its culture, its language, etc. Um, and one thing that we did learn is that it was very, very hard to integrate um, with the language and with my father in specific with the culture.
1: As Danya was saying, going back to the fact that they that they immigrated at two different ages, my grandma and her father, it gives us a, a different perspective to see what people are going through, what immigrants are going through crossing, uh, what those that are crossing at a younger age are facing, what, are, what they're dealing with in school systems, what they're dealing with um, associating, making friends, uh, versus an adult crossing who's trying to look for work, who's trying to provide for their family. It gives you two very different outlooks. And just like Danya said, that immigration is not, um, it's not specific, it's not a black or white topic. There's so many different variations, different ages, different times, um even male and female makes a very big difference with immigrating i feel Um,
0: there's many factors that affected the assimilation and integration of immigrants into the united states and some of those are the social dislocations that latinos face um in specific i'm going to talk about my father and then i'll kind of let juan talk about the social dislocations his grandma went through um but based on week six lectures we can see that some of the social dislocations are poverty, wage exploitation, segregation, incarceration, fear of deportation, and repression. Um, I immediately thought of my father when I read all of these in the lectures because he talked about each of these in his interview. He spoke about how he didn't have status, he didn't have a social security number that he could use for him to get Fair wages, so he was always getting exploited in work He was getting paid less because the employers knew that he couldn't report them um, Another thing is he was always fearful of being deported and he was deported eventually and
2: And so it was it was kind of hard Because I, I was I was caught by the Border Patrol at one point and I was working at this place and 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 I was caught you know and then they told me you can you can't work because you don't have, uh, you, don't have uh, you don't have papers you know to work in and live in the states so we're going to have to send you back to Mexico
1: Although my grandma was not deported one of the dislocations that she went through was segregation when she was in the elementary school and from fourth grade to middle school she was often bullied she was pushed aside uh, she said that there was times where uh, older people were waiting for her outside of school, just waiting for her to get out so that they could beat her up. Um, she was seen as a nobody because of who she was and because of where she was from. Uh, she said that a lot, oftentimes that they saw her as an immigrant, that they saw her as a uh, Tijuanera, not a Mexican, a Mexican, not as a, as a Mexican American, but as an actual immigrant from the other side of the border. And she said that's what made it very different for them um, that everybody there was a Mexican-American. She was, even though she was Mexican and living in America, she was seen as different because she was actually from the other side of the border. Alice. mexican to them i was a tj tj was like a bad thing to be like a, being from tj uh-huh oh okay Tijuanera. they said it very ugh, you know so they looked down upon you from where they you're did. from okay they did and i would look at them i'm not yo no soy de tijuana soy de la ciudad de mexico they didn't know the difference they didn't care you were from mexico you were from across the border it's the same shit <laughs> and that's the way they saw me As Douglas Macy stated in his article, The New Latino Underclass Immigration Enforcement as a Race-Making Institution, he states, As Latinos grew in number and visibility in the United States after 1965, they were subject to a systematic process of racialization. A dedicated campaign of psychological framing and social boundary construction intended to position them as a stigmatized outgroup in America's social cognition. Um, so what that's trying to say is back then in society, people were taught to racialize and push aside people who weren't American. I think this is why my grandma was more likely to encounter bullying and segregation in school, just because this was what society was taught to do back then. Um, adults teaching their kids this, and then the kids obviously, uh, demonstrating these things in school. Um, also another thing is, mind you, that this was four years after 1965, which was the same time frame that the quote was focused on.
0: Going back to what Juan was saying um, about how people or immigrants were more likely to be racialized back then because of the way in which society was taught to treat immigrants, I also think it goes hand in hand with the policies that there were in place in society back then. Um, although they weren't as harsh or as exclusionary as they are nowadays, um, there was definitely policies put into place that not necessarily purposely push Latinos or immigrants away but it led people to see them as a group of people that they needed to push away because they were the abnormal group in society Um, and this definitely has to do with U.S. policies and practices that Created a downward assimilation as we saw in week six, um, it created segregation and racial differences in society and this led to the Division of different groups in society. That's why it's hard for immigrants to integrate into society because they were always seen as the Abnormal group um, and never part of society
1: It is very important to note that there were policies designed to prevent quote-unquote illegal immigration Not only did it prevent illegal immigration, but it made it harder for immigrants to assimilate themselves into the society that they immigrated to. Some of these policies are mentioned in Cecilia Menjivar's article, Legal Violence and the Lives of Immigrants. These policies include Arizona's SB 1070, which allowed officers to stop suspected individuals of being in the country undocumented. This is a direct example of racial profiling. Officers were pulling over whoever fit the quote-unquote description of somebody undocumented. Another was Alabama's HB 56, which targets schools and calls for schools to report any students that are undocumented. It also bars undocumented students from attending post-secondary education. Lastly, the Secure Communities Program, which according to Menjivar, checks the status of people booked into county jails in participating jurisdictions, Although these policies were spread out throughout the numerous states in the United States, we see some of these practices being done in the case of Danya's father, where in his case, the Border Patrol showed up unannounced to his job and checked everyone's legal status, and it ended up being that he had no status, and so they deported him. Menjivar also adds that these laws' only purpose is to criminalize the life and behavior of undocumented immigrants, and this is exactly what we saw in the case of Danya's father.
0: So up until now, we've seen um, the definitions of integration, assimilation, we've seen some of the ways in which our family members were socially dislocated, which goes hand in hand with um, either the push into integration or the lack of or the push away from integration coming from immigrants um and i think it doesn't only revolve around the society that they live in and the policies but also um some of the Factors that either help them integrate or push them away from integrating. And one big factor that we saw in our interviews is language. Um, obviously, it's very hard for an immigrant coming from Mexico who's fluent in Spanish to immigrate to a new country where the main language is English. It's going to be very hard for them to integrate and communicate and be able to make a life in a country where they're not fluent in the main language um, and we see there's a lot in our interviews where um, our family members were f- basically forced into having to learn the language because that is the only way they would be able to fully and completely assimilate or integrate themselves into their new home but she tried to make friends but she told me one day she's like don't worry my next
1: With that being said, for my grandma, based on the conversation we had and looking at how things turned out for her, the social benefit that was on the line outweighed the mental cost. I think this is true for a couple reasons. One being that she had first heard English at six years old, which is still a very young age. She entered the U.S. at eight and started elementary school, where she said that she caught on to English really fast, that by the fourth grade, she was pretty much fluent. For her, there wasn't really a mental cost. She was young and school was in English, so she kind of had to learn it as well as um, statistics showing that it is easier for your brain to learn a second language at a younger age rather than older just because the brain is uh, still in process of growing and it's easier for the brain to grab onto the language rather at a younger age rather than being older, right? Um, also, most of her friends in school already spoke both English and Spanish, uh, so this this allowed for her to integrate easier. She saw that she wouldn 't be the only one speaking both. She saw that it was kind of normal for her, that it was almost expected of her to learn both languages just because her friends spoke both most of her friends spoke both uh, languages. her teacher spoke both languages uh so it made it only made sense to her to want to learn English in the interview she mentioned how cool it was to hear how cool it was for her hearing her neighbor's nephews speaking in English. This gave her the desire to want to learn the language, which meant there was a small mental cost for her.
0: As Juan stated, his grandma didn't have that many obstacles in her way to learn the new language that she needed to integrate or adapt to. Um, However, my father definitely did have more of a hard time and I think it also has to do with the fact that he was already an adult when he came to the United States and it was harder for him to adapt because he didn't have to go to school every day like Juan's grandma did. Um, And in the article, Assimilation and its Discontents, written by Rumid Rumba, he states, Finally, on the prospects of sustaining bilingualism, without strong social structural supports, the chances are seem very slim, even among highly motivated individuals and despite the range of benefits it can confer. As Pons puts it, bilingualism is costly in terms of both memory and reaction time. Thus, for an individual to become or remain bilingual, the social benefit must outweigh the mental cost. And this mental cost explains why the tendency toward unilingualism never entirely disappears and merely confirms the norm. The mind works more quickly and with less effort in a unilingual semantic system. Its natural inclination is toward unilingualism. Coming to the United States as an immigrant, most would say that it is pretty important to speak the language and with that being said, that makes integrating that much harder. Coming as an adult, like my father, you may not have the time or resources to learn a new language if you haven't already stated. Fortunately, in both Juan's grandma in my father's case they were both introduced to english in tijuana because of how close it is to the united states and that comes with its benefits one being that arriving to the u.s the language is not entirely new because they've heard it um they've interacted with someone that probably speaks the language because we live in a border city um compared to someone coming from central or south america who's never heard the language it's definitely more hard for someone coming from there to hear the language for the first time and try to understand it or try to comprehend it. With that being said, and referring back to the quote that Rumbat said, the benefit of learning the language must outweigh the mental cost. That means is that there needs to be a reason for them to want to learn the language. If an immigrant came to the United States looking for a higher paying and a more secure job, they would most likely be intrigued or feel the need to learn the language due to high demand. Also, unfortunately, in the United States, most high-paying jobs require you to speak English, which would either motivate immigrants, um, like my father, who decided to go to school to learn the language and integrate, or it would hinder their desire to want to integrate to society because of how much effort they need to put into learning and trying to comprehend this new language.
1: Now, I know it may seem like most people are willing to learn the language. However, as Roomba stated, um, society will never only be bilingual because of the mental cost, meaning that there will always be people, mostly immigrants who never learn English. Living in a country and not speaking the language is not a physical problem. There, there's no rule. There's no law stating that you need to speak English to be in America. However, not speaking the language will make it that much harder for the individual to assimilate into society. Um, learning, knowing the language, it's going to make working easier, um, and just getting involved in society with work, education, whatever it may be.
2: Here in the in the border, we have the uh, the opportunity and the advantage that we can we, we listen to the English uh, language like on a daily basis through through the radio, through TV. So I wasn't very I wasn't very. Uh, thoughtful but i knew i did i mean i i i can understand a lot a lot of stuff but i couldn't speak english but i, I knew i had to try and I, and I knew i had to go to school and, and i knew i had to it wasn't going to be easy but it's it's an advantage through uh if i if if you look at like people that coming from like uh south mexico you know it's 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 harder mm. because it's, it's, it's farther and everything. So it's, you're it's...
0: saying you had exposure to the English language because you were in a border city.
2: Right. Absolutely.
0: My father's experience definitely confirms that, yes, living in a border city definitely makes it easier for someone to learn a new language. This is because both countries, um, Mexico and the United States, have so many exchanges and um relationships when it comes to finances and goods that are being crossed over every day. And there this causes interactions between people from the United States and from Mexico. Um, but there definitely still is hardships, even for those people who come from a border city. So people who come from Tijuana and immigrate to the United States, there's definitely still going to be some obstacles on their way.
2: The language is the barrier. Okay, because you, you can't really adapt if, if you if, if you don't if you don't know the language if you don't understand it it's, it's, it's harder of course you can't communicate for instance I, I I mean I didn't talk a lot for the same reason just to keep it to myself you know everything so that was that was very hard.
0: As we heard throughout this podcast, there are definitely several factors that help and push immigrants towards a better integration and assimilation into the new society that they are living in and making a life in, but there are also factors that push them away from that integration and that diminish their chances of fully um, integrating and Obviously, these aren't the only factors, but this is what we decided to focus on. And from integration to assimilation to social dislocations to barriers, any of that, um, there's always going to be some challenges that immigrants face. But overall, it's always worth it.
2: You know, the accent and all that, you know, it wasn't like easy for a lot of people. But I mean, I I didn't have a lot of I I, I don't need. I didn't have a lot of. uh, problem you know
1: Mm -hmm.
2: understanding it and and learning today i mean i still learn you know i mean it's not perfect but uh, i'm just doing my best you know